I'm Brandon Carey. I'm Jason Grady. This is the Medic Class Citizen Podcast. Welcome back. So today we want to accomplish something that we've we've sought out to do for a long time. We want to discuss how to read a study. We want to we want to discuss how whenever you look in a journal, how you can read through some of these studies in a in a good effective way. Yeah, and that's uh, it's hugely important because it's not something it's not something we're used to doing. Um, and typically, what we'll do is we'll listen to people we trust. Or we will pull a little one-liner out of something and we'll all of a sudden form all of our opinions based on that. Yeah. So if there's somebody I trust and they say, this is what we should do, then I go ahead and I repeat that. Or if we say, this isn't something we should do, we go back and we repeat that. Rather than if we're truly going to say, we are going to practice evidence-based medicine, well, then we have to know what that evidence is and be able to vet it. Absolutely. So let me let me tell you how I have been my my approach to every study. I approach it the same way. And you tell me what you think about it. So the way that I look at it, I always go to the results first. I look at it. I, I look at the title. I kind of glance. I read through the abstract a little bit. I don't really dig deep into it, but then I dig into the results section. And I'm pretty specifically looking for certain things, uh, the confidence intervals, p-values, things like that. Um, and then I kind of make my mind up from there. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's human nature is to go see, you know, if I say, Hey, Brandon, how do you feel about this? I don't necessarily ask you, how did you arrive at that? I just say, how do you feel about this? You tell me now, if I agree with you, we, you know, go, go on our way and, and we're friends. If I disagree with you, now I have to convince you why I disagree with you. And then I got to figure out why you came up with that conclusion. So I used to do the same thing. Look at the abstract, go right to the conclusion part and see if I agree or disagree. What I found more recently as I have done this more is that ends up clouding my judgment because uh, a paper that's written or a trial that's done has to be vetted. You know, for instance, if we, if we look at uh, a study, if we try to do a study or we try to say, uh, there are two people in the whole study. You can't draw conclusions from that. This nope. is that's anecdotal. You can't say, "Oh, well, this happened to me one time, therefore there should be a practice change." So, what I and what ends up happening with me is if I read the conclusion and I agree with it, yeah, I might look over your methods and look over the discussion and the background and everything, but I'm probably going to be pretty lenient. I'm not going to really go over that with a fine tooth comb to vet that because I don't want it to change. I want to agree with that conclusion. Uh, on the other hand, if I disagree, I may be a little bit too critical. So we really, I think, need to look at this in a systematic way and go through it. And it doesn't have to be daunting. You can get uh, as broad or specific as you want. There are people that get specific and probably too specific. Um, but I think for us, we there's a kind of a method that we can go through to kind of do a quick glance, a little bit of a deep dive, and then figure out where we go from there. Awesome. Let's do it. 
So, you know, without getting uh, without getting too technical, you know, I think everyone's seen one of these studies is that you have you have the paper and how it's outlined, but then they do an abstract. Now, there's a couple problems with the abstract, and all abstracts are are pretty much laid out the same. You've got the background, the methods, the results, the conclusions. The abstracts that I've been involved with limit you in the number of words you're allowed to use. So it's pretty interesting that uh, if you want to go more in depth on an abstract, sometimes it can hold you back. And just in the because of the nature of an abstract, you know, and that should be like that. We shouldn't have to, you know, read you know, four or five pages on an abstract that should be really in the paper. So here's kind of how I do it. First thing I look at is the authors. You know, I look at the authors. Do, do I trust, do I know them? Do I trust them? What else have they written that has panned out well? Which else have they written that uh, really turned out to be, you know, kind of a bunch of nonsense? If it is non, if it had been nonsense in the past, I uh, may be a little bit on the fence on on how your methods are or, you know, how how well your conclusions came out. So I, I, that's what I do is I look at the authors first and see um, if, uh, you know, if it's if it's somebody I actually want to read or somebody that I trust. So do you have any tips or advice on how to find more works by those authors? Man, Google. Google is one of the best, the best ways you can actually type in a person's name. And I think Google has a scholarly article. Sure does. Scholar.google.com. There you go. Yeah. And so you can go through and see all of the stuff that they've written and you can actually get off on, uh, you know, rabbit trails like crazy for as to yeah. your heart's content. Essentially, it's a free Galileo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's just kind of research that you kind of have to do on your own. But, um, you know, the other problem with an abstract is it's not really you can't vet something by the abstract. Uh, you know, we, we have uh, in, in some of the stuff that we've written. Um, there've been a lot of things left out in the abstract just because there wasn't enough time or there wasn't enough words to put in that abstract. And I know some of our discussion was, well, what about this? Like, well, no, that'll be vetted out in the paper. Um, so there's a lot of things that are in the paper that are not going to be, uh, in the abstract. So once you, once you get through the abstract, you have to read the paper. And this is just something that you have to kind of train your mind to do. You know, if you're not interested in the topic, it's going to be a boring read. If you are interested in the topic, there's going to be a lot of things. And as you're, as you're kind of reading through, I'm a note taker, I'm an underliner. Um, I got to print things out and I have to kind of look through things, highlight it, make notes. Um, but then the other thing is, uh, you know, journal clubs. I think this is something that we really need to be doing in pre-hospital. We need to be doing journal clubs. And I know that sounds nerdy and that sounds really strange, but if we know, you know, if we know we're going to be talking about it, then we're going to kind of read it a little bit differently. We may come up with questions like, Hey, this will be a good thing uh, to discuss, but let me just kind of go through quickly, maybe not too quickly. Um, but how we actually look at a paper. So all papers are kind of the, the same way the abstract is laid out, the paper is laid out. So you look at the background. Um, one of the things I just kind of asked myself a few questions like, do I agree with the premise? Do I, do I even think this needs to be studied? Um, you know, as you're, as you're reading, as you li listen to the radio or on TV and they're like, uh, oh, scientists have found that the number of clicks in a cicada, you know, on a Tuesday can tell you <laughs> what the weather's going to be next Christmas. Like, I don't care. 
That's what the farmer's almanac's for. And how did you get money to study that? Like that's that's stupid. So I don't care. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read that. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna look at something that I want to, it's a topic that I really care about. And we have talked about a lot of topics, um, you know, with this podcast. If it's something I really care about, I'm gonna look at it a little bit differently. Um, and then is it along with that? Is it a good thing to study? I mean, is this really something that that we care about? Is this a question that's already been answered a hundred times? Um, or is this something new and novel that I really want to know because it's really going to either change the way I practice or it might prioritize things a little bit differently and then kind of form my own hypothesis, look at their hypothesis. That's what they're going to say in the background. They're going to say, we kind of, ex this is why we're studying this and this is what we expect. Now, the biggest thing is the next section and that's methods. So methods are the most important thing because methods are going to tell you what the biases are. So if we, we have to get our methods to remove as much of the bias as we can. And we've, uh, you know, we've talked about that in previous episodes on how we, how we get bias. You know, we all have hypotheses. Um, if we think that one drug is going to work over another, if we know we're getting the drug that we like, we're going to act differently than if we get the drug that we don't like and the outcomes are going to be different. We also have to look at um, what are we including? So if I have a hypothesis that a certain medication or a procedure works, if I find out it doesn't work on a patient, I might throw that out because I don't like the results. So we have to look at what is the oversight. In most places that are doing prospective studies or studying things as they come, you have to have uh, board approval or institutional review board IRB approval. You'll see that a lot. And so you'll see papers that kind of list out where do they get their IRB approval? These are independent people that are saying, hey, is this ethically right the way you're doing it? Um, is this even a good thing to study? How are you enrolling patients? How are you talking to patients? Um, and there's a lot of oversight there. Uh, and that might be out of a research department or um, other methods of doing that. The other big things are the inclusions and exclusions. Uh, who are you including? If we are going to do a study on uh, cardiac arrest, we might say, well, we're going to include all patients that had cardiac arrest before EMS arrived. And an exclusion might be if you're less than 18. So we really have to look at who are you including, who are you excluding? If you're just going to include everybody to support your hypothesis, you're not going to get true numbers. Look at other stuff like what is the protocol? What is the training methods? You know, we look at, we're going to look at some, uh, some studies uh, in the future about EMS. You know, you can't just uh, throw a paramedic in the back and say, hey, we're going to, we're going to study this but not give them any training, not, it might be on a device. It might be on a medication. Uh, you know, you have to list out how you're actually going to do that. And then probably the most important part of the methods is what type of study are you going to do? This is what we call how, how powerful the study is, which is how can you make a conclusion off of this? So there, there's a couple things. One is a retrospective study. Well, we're going to look backwards. So we're going to say, hey, let's go back last year and let's pull all of the charts of the patients that got an ET tube versus a superglottic airway versus a BVM. 
And so we'll go back and we'll look at all those patients and we'll look at those outcomes. That's not very powerful because there are so many biases in there. There's so many different types of patients that gets one over the other. It's a good way to start, but it's not a great way to say we should do any kind of practice change. The other way is just observational. It's like, we're not changing anything. We're not putting anything in. We're not taking anything out. We're just observing and we're documenting it and see what we get. The two biggest things we get, one is if we truly want to make a determination over a therapy, a medication, a procedure, we have to randomize. So we have to have it to where we don't, as providers, we don't get to say which patient gets a certain medication, a procedure, uh, or a therapy. The patient is randomized. When we have a patient, they meet the inclusion then we somehow pull out a number out of a hat, out of, off of a computer, off of a phone call, and they say, you will do the therapy A or therapy B or therapy C. You don't get a choice in that. They tell you. And then the most powerful one is you do a randomized blinded. Now, there's two types of blinded. There's, there's blinded and there's double blinded. So randomized is you don't get a say in what you do. You're told which therapy you're going to do. Blinded is the patient doesn't know what they're getting, but you as a provider know what you're giving. The best one is randomized, double blinded. You don't get to choose which therapy you're giving. You don't know what therapy you're giving, and the patient doesn't know what therapy they're getting. That eliminates bias. And the reason we have to eliminate bias is because if we think a certain therapy is going to be correct, and I know I'm giving the therapy that I think is correct, I'm likely going to change the way I treat that patient. Rather than if I give a therapy that I don't agree with, I may change the way I treat that patient and the outcomes just aren't going to be predictable. So that's really where, you know, where we want to be so that we can eliminate the bias. The last two are, are fairly simple. Uh, one is statistical analysis. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not the best on statistical analysis. I really wish now that I would have paid more attention um, in uh, statistics <laughs> when I took that. It was it was pretty boring, and it still can be a little bit boring, but when you look at it, it is so incredibly important. So we look at things. on We do different tests. The, really, the, the biggest thing as we're glancing at a paper is you, the number we should really care about is the what we call the N. The N number, the letter N, is the total number of people in the trial. And then the number of people that got each therapy. If we have two, it's not really good. If we have a hundred, it might be okay, but it's not great. If we have a thousand, eh, we can really probably start to make a little bit of term determinations on that. If we have 5,000, we're better. If we have 10,000, we're better. If we have 30,000, we're great because we can truly get some good understanding of which direction we should get, we should go with something like 30,000 patients. Because at that point, you can prove that it's reproducible. Exactly. That is really what we're looking at is st at, with statistics. The other thing I would say about statistics is we want to know as we're looking through this, was something statistically significant or not? The way we determine that at a glance is what we call the p-value. Really, we're looking for any p-value that is 0 0.05 
or less. And simply all that saying is 0.05 is you're saying 95% of the time, if all these same things line up, you will get the same results. You know, this is really when we do um, adaptive testing. Uh, with national registry or or other things. It's essentially based on statistics and a p-value, where if you answer one more question or a hundred more questions, you're statistically going to get the same number right, regardless of how many you answer at a, at a certain point. So this is the same thing. So 0 0.05 or less, 0 0.04, 0 0.01 uh, is, is what we would call highly statistically significant. Now we can, we can get um, higher than a 0 0.05 and still call it statistically significant, but that's kind of another conversation. So we're looking for 0 0.05 or less telling us that at 95% of the time, we're going to, these results are going to be reproducible. So if we look at something and the P value is two point, mm. you know, 2.0, uh, that's not statistically significant. So, uh, and then if you're, you know, if you really like statistics, they, the most papers will tell you exactly the different tests they did and it can get uh, a little bit confusing, but really the N number, uh, and the N and the, the P value. And then the, uh, the last one bef before, you know, with, well, within the paper are the results. Now, this is where essentially going to be the same results that are in your abstract. But hopefully, if you've gone through it right and you say, okay, you know, this really is an important thing to be studied. It was a double blind, it was a randomized double blind study. The way they did the statistics, there was a bunch of people in this. The p values on all this were 0 0.05. These, the, you should be able to agree with the results. Now, you may not like the results but you should be able to agree with the, with the results. And then after that, probably the most important part is the discussion. So this is the discussion is where the authors are going to out themselves to say that uh, this is, these are the results we got and we're good with them. We really think this is, they were powerful results and we should change, or they're going to say, these are the results we got, but we really think that because of this, 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 and this, we need further investigation. Very few times are we going to come across one single paper that says we need to absolutely make a change in the way that we practice. This is where, like, you know, Brandon, you've mentioned this before, meta-analysis, where we're looking at several papers because each method is going to be a little bit different. You know, one, one of the problems that we have, especially in pre-hospital medicine, is we have very densely populated urban areas. We have very sparse rural areas. Most of the studies are done in densely populated areas, but does that mean that should be a practice change for a rural area? I don't know. I would be very hesitant to, you know, I'd look at those methods and say, no, oh, these, these people here don't match the same population that we have in other areas. So we have to be, you know, I have to be very careful. So these are the, the discussion is where the authors out themselves, but this is also the time for you as a reviewer to start writing down uh, questions like, you know, this wasn't studied. I would have liked to really see this. And if those questions aren't answered for you, you have to be highly critical of it. Um, and then it's a time for you to kind of go back through their method, uh, their methods and their results to see, um, you know, whether, whether or not they're effective, you know, there's a, 
There's a lot of uh, cynicism out there with, uh, especially when it comes to medications, if a drug company is sponsoring um, a study, you know, that's a bias. Uh, and so you have to really look through that uh, very carefully and vet that and see if this is really a time that I'm going to change the way I do things. And a lot of times in pre-hospital, um, we're not changing the way we do things, but based on information, we may prioritize things differently. So I don't think we need to be looking at these studies in pre-hospital to say, well, it's not going to change the way I, you know, it's not going to change the treatment I deliver, but it might change the timeline for how you deliver that, or it might give you a little bit more understanding of we need to study this more, or this is really a thing that I need to change personally. So awesome, man. Those were fantastic points. Great takeaways. But I think this will be a great time for us to go ahead and talk about what we're going to start doing. We're going to start doing some journal reviews for, for our listeners. I think it'll be very good that if we can, you know, use the principles that you just laid out for us and we can go through and start analyzing some studies, man, I think that's going to be, I think it'll be great for the listeners. Yeah. And I would say, uh, as you're, as you're listening to this, you know, you have ways of contacting us, give us some ideas on some papers Absolutely. that you've, that you've looked at, you know, we hope to be able to interview some people uh, along the way that have written the papers. That, that's actually the best way to review a paper. You review it and then you have the author right there. And so, uh, you know, most authors are going to be really good with saying, these are what the limitations were. And, uh, you know, so you're not just asking those questions and wondering, you're speaking directly to the author. So if you, if you know of people, uh, that would like to be interviewed and in some of the papers that they've written, or you want us to review some papers, or you have some suggestions, uh, you know, let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. And some very easy ways to reach out to us to tell us what you want us to review is going to our website, www.mediclasscitizen.com and clicking the feedback button that doesn't necessarily subscribe you to our email list. If you just want to send us an idea, that's one easy way to do it. You can also direct message us on all of our different social media forums. That's how you can reach out to us. You've been listening to Medic Class Citizen. If you like what you heard, check out our website at www.mediclasscitizen.com. Also, find us on social media where you can follow, like, subscribe, and share. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we also have videos on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.